You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Lieutenant Colonel Oakland McCullough, the author of Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. In his 23-year career in the Army, he held numerous leadership positions in the infantry and armor branches and instructed at the U.S. Army Ordnance School, the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College, the Australian Command and Staff College, University of South Alabama, and Stetson University. Lieutenant Colonel McCullough later became the Recruiting Operations Officer for the Eagle Battalion Army ROTC program at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, where he has more than doubled the size of the program in six years. He received 31 military service awards, including the Bronze Star, eight Meritorious Service Medals, and the Humanitarian Service Medal. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Lieutenant Colonel McCullough discuss what do selfless service and servant leadership really mean? What can we learn from our best and worst bosses? Can we become leaders? Or is this something that only some people are born with? And how to build a team where you as a leader make others feel valued and appreciated while still having them be the best version of themselves. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today I'm extremely excited to have Colonel McCullough all the way from Daytona Beach. Colonel, welcome. Thank you, Ron. I really appreciate you having me on the show. I, I was excited uh, on our back and forth. I did. A, I, I was. I was looking at some of your stuff. Um, I haven't had a chance to read your recent book, uh, "Your Leadership, Your Legacy," but it's on my. Uh, it's. I, it's been ordered and is shipped, and so I'm excited to dig into it. But before we talk about the book, give us a little background. Who are you? Where do you come from? Obviously, uh, we know you know. Or, or for those who are listening, you retired from the military in 2009, but give us a little more flavor of, of, of your background. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Northern Illinois, which is why I live in Florida, because I'm never living through winters like that ever again. Smart. So, so I, I, I grew up in Northern Illinois. I played baseball, basketball, football in high school, uh, went off to, and it was captain of my team. I was president of student government. So I've, I've been in some leadership positions ever since I was, you know, in high school and, so then I went off to the United States Military Academy at West Point and, um, and played baseball there. And then I, uh, I was there for two years. And then I uh, went back uh, home and I, did, uh, I finished up my college at Northern Illinois University in the Army ROTC program, where I met my wife, by the way, who was also in the Army. She was an Army nurse for eight years. Um, so I finished up there. I graduated. I got a commission as a, an infantry officer. So I did my first five years in the Army as an infantry officer. And then I switched over to armored cavalry. And I did my last 18 years in uh, armored cavalry. I retired in 2009. My last duty assignment on active duty was running an Army ROTC program. So I was commissioning the next generation of leaders, which kind of led to the book. And we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then uh, when I retired, I, I was the associate director of a food bank for about 18 months. Great organization, did great things. Uh, but when they offered me to come do the recruiting for the Army ROTC program here in Daytona Beach, Florida, I jumped on it. It's tough to live in Daytona Beach, Florida, but somebody has to do it. So I took one for the team. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Well, <laughs> you know, someone to take one for the team with you. You just you just give the invite. I'll come down. <laughs> winters, I will join you. 
Yeah, sounds good. So, so I, I'm curious. Before we get to the book, I want to rewind because um, I'm always. I have no experience with the military. I feel like I'm, if I was ever involved, I, I would get kicked out in 30 seconds. I hate rules and I, I just, I, I need autonomy. And so in my brain, I feel like it's the wrong place for me, but I'm, and maybe I'm right or wrong, but I'm curious on your experience with leadership and different leaders throughout the, throughout the military. Cause you did different roles, right? And you would have had a lot of experience with different leaders. So question one, is there consistent leadership or did, was it a bit of, Servant leadership at one level, command and control leadership at the other. What did it look like? Oh, absolutely. There, there was all. There was not consistent. I mean, I can tell you, I've had great leaders that uh, that I got to follow and uh, learn from, and I've had horrible leaders that I got to follow. I had to follow, and I and I got to learn from. And I always tell people, you can learn just as much from one of those people as you can from somebody who's a great leader. In fact, you might even learn more. I can remember standing in formation several times. And my whoever was in charge of the of the unit that I was in would say something in formation, make a decision that we're going to do something. At. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, "Yeah, if I'm ever in charge, I'm not doing that. That's not going to happen." So, um, so yeah, I, I've I've had the opportunity to have some great leaders uh, that understood that it was all about ser- selfless service and servant leadership. And then I've had some who were, you know very micromanaging, very uh, uh, wanted everything done exactly the way they wanted it done and and w- did not tolerate any mistakes whatsoever. And we all know if you have an organization like that, then you have, you are stifling all creativity if you have if you run an organization like that. So I've seen from the gamut from people that I would follow anywhere to people that I had to follow and I would never follow again if I had a choice. And maybe this goes into your book, but what are those attributes on, wow, I would never do what you've just done to, I, I, I'm so inspired by you as a leader. What were some of the key things? Yeah, so I think one of, one of the most important ones for me is the selfless service part, that you've got to understand that it is not about you. Uh, you know, and, and I always use this example. When I, now in, in my day job, uh, we commission lieutenants. Uh, who are going to go out there and be the the beginning level of officers in the United States Army. And I always tell every one of them at their commissioning, I say, look, today is all about you. Congratulations. You you made it. You're now a a second lieutenant in the United States Army. Enjoy today because it's about you. I said, but once we pin those bars on you and tomorrow when you wake up, it is no longer about you. It's about your soldiers. It's about your organization. It's about the mission. It's about the Army. It's about the nation. And then if we have time, we might talk about you, maybe. Um, so I think selfless service is one of those things that, in my opinion, if you're not a selfless servant, if you don't believe in selfless service and you're not a selfless uh, a servant leader, then you cannot be a great leader because that's what inspires people to follow people. That's one of the things that inspires them to follow them. It's, it's interesting. Did you, did you have an, uh, what I'll call an aha moment? Was it, was it one of these, I'll call it command and control, right? Uh, leaders that really just, you know, turned your crank, it really pissed you off, whatever it was that said, I need to, I need to, to, to form a new path. And so, because, because at some point you had to choose which leadership path you were going to take. Absolutely. You have a one like, oh my God, this is so clear to me now. Yeah, so uh, it was. It was my second battalion commander, 
uh, and I won't mention any names. My second oh, come on, what's his name? No, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> um, my second battalion commander, who I thought you know was he was one of those that was so concerned about his career more than he was about the organization. It was all about him and his career, and and was a micromanager, had to do things exactly the way he wanted because he didn't want any, any chance of a mistake that was gonna tarnish his career. And, and, I, and uh, you know, I, I was in his battalion for a year, uh, luckily only a year, because um, I didn't, didn't get another job outside the battalion, thankfully. But, uh, but it, that was, at that point I said, because huge contrast to my first battalion commander who was all about, empowering other people, giving them the authority to make decisions. Um, now you can never give up responsibility, but he gave them the authority to, to make decisions. He said, look, this is where I want it to go, go do it. Um, so huge difference. And that's when I, that's when it, the light bulb went off in my head. And I said, look, you, you gotta be that selfless, selfless servant um, leader that allows people to do things because that's, that certainly motivated me, and the other one did not motivate me. And so let's go a little deeper into the server. That how did that leader make you feel when you were there in the moment? How did you feel? The one that was a, 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 a servant leader? No, no, the other. Oh, the other one, yeah. Like you, you, you were there just treading water, making sure that you didn't do bad anything bad because he wouldn't tolerate anything bad. You know, he would um, be screaming and yelling and, all that kind of stuff when th when bad things happened um, that that um, again that he was afraid was going to affect his his career and his reputation because he was just so concentrated. Now to his credit, I guess he retired a lieutenant general, so he, a three star general. So obviously somebody liked him, um, but uh, but I can tell you that the soldiers who worked under him did not. So it sounds like you know the leadership style put you on eggshells. Put me on what? Eggshells, just that, you know. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and not, just the, not just the officers that worked under him, but his soldiers as well. Absolutely. And, and, and it, was, it was toxic. It really was. I mean, I, I you know, and, and there are examples in the Army. I mean, every profession, I don't care what profession it is, has people that, that aren't what they should be. You know, whether it's the Army, politicians, University presidents, uh, you know, doesn't, priests doesn't matter. There's every profession has people who, who I would say, you know, I, I won't say bad, but aren't the people that, that you would want to follow or emulate. Um, and we certainly have them in the army as well. So, last question on the army because I'm, I'm I'm curious because you think of, you know, the army producing these incredible leaders, which I'm sure they they have, but it feels like there's inconsistency there. To your point, is is there not a military army playbook here's leadership you go to leadership academy before you move or, or not really just you, you well there is but, but, so but every leader has some leeway in how they want to do things that's one of the right. things about the army um is that you know they tell you you know you we all go to become an officer the same way we get taught the same things now how you implement those things and how you your experience then takes you may change because you are the commander, you're the person in charge, you know, and when I was a company commander, I used to have a sign that was over my, over my head up on the wall and it said, I'm the boss and that's the law, <laughs> you know, and it was jokingly, uh, but, but there are some commanders who, who feel that way, that if you, it doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what you want, 
this is what we're going to do. And, and that's, he is the, he or she is the commander. Their name is on the blind line. So to a certain point, you understand that. They're the ones who have to make the final decision. But hopefully a good leader will pull people in and use other people's experiences, not just their own. And I, and I don't know if there's data-driven you know, um, results here, but was, is it obvious when objectively when you look at the leader in the military and those teams, which ones are outperforming based on leadership? Was it like- oh, Absolutely it is. Okay. Now, whether or not anybody tracks that in the army, I, I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, I'm sure, sure that that person's uh, boss does some kind of tracking on it, but but you can you can tell a good organization. There are certainly differences, um, and even in, in when I was a lieutenant, there were three platoons. Two platoons did great things. One platoon was really struggling because it had a leader that that was struggling, um, that was not very good, and so you can tell a good organization um, immediately. A good, a good leader, an organization that has a good leader, you can tell them immediately. I'm guessing one of the attributes as it is in, in the corporate world and, and sports teams is that a lot more infighting with a challenging command and control leader. Is that correct in the military? A lot more infighting, a lot more big. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if, if you're giving people some authority to make decisions, then they don't need to fight about it. Uh, you know, you're not fighting for resources. You, you're being given what, what, what you need, or you have to come back and ask uh, for more. But I, I, the, the people that I would love to work for and that I would follow anywhere, uh, I can tell you all the other officers under them got along very well. And part of that was them doing, making sure that they did. I had bosses who, who would have uh, an event on, you know, once every couple months at his or her place have a barbecue and have all the junior leaders there. And so we got to know each other. We got to, to trust each other, got to believe in each other. And, uh, and it wasn't a competition. It was, we're in this all together. Uh, and, and so that type of leader, a good uh, servant leader does those kinds of things. One who is a micromanager does not. So your, your first book, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be, correct? That is correct. So I want to talk about that for a sec because it's interesting. I, you know, I get asked all the time, are you, you know, is entrepreneurship, were you born with that or were you, you trained? And I, I struggle sometimes. I think it was in my blood, and, but I think that's a very broad question. What do you, you know, maybe you talk about this in that first book, you know, can you become a leader? Are you born a leader? What are your thoughts? And does I think make- there's a combination. I think some people are born with traits and, and how, you know, maybe in their early years, how they're brought up um, kind of, pushes those traits to the point where they seem like a natural leader. Uh, you know, I, I, I was always the captain of my sports teams. I was president of student government. I was in voice leader in Boy Scouts. I, growing up, I was always a leader. Now, nobody taught me how to be a leader. And, and I didn't go out thinking I was going to be the leader. It was just that I was always, I, so there was a vacuum there. I still st- uh, stepped up and I took over. Uh, and I and I learned how to, how how important it was to be a good leader. So I think there are some people who have that, but I do believe that if you want to be a leader, we can make you a leader. Now, are you going to be as good as maybe one of those people who are just a natural born leader? If if you believe in in that type of thing, like I do, maybe not. But I you know I see it all the time in in our profession where again, my last assignment on active duty, I I 
produced lieutenants. I'm now recruiting uh, for an organization that is producing lieutenants. And I can bring people in that, uh, and I can tell you, when I was a professor of military science, I always tell this story. One of, I brought in this freshman and I thought to myself, that, that young man is never gonna make it, never gonna make it. And he stuck it out and he was learning the things that we told him to learn. And when he was a senior, he was the battalion commander. He was the highest ranking cadet in the program. He, some, somewhere along the line, the light came on and he understood what he had to do. And he, he's still in the army. He's a major in the United States army doing great things. So we, I think we can teach people uh, if they want to learn and they want to do the things. And I think that's what, what the, the ROTC program is all about. And, and West Point and OCS, all those commissioning things. But, uh, but I think you can teach people if they're willing to learn. Um, I, I've seen it happen, I, uh, so I know it can happen. So I'm curious if you wanted to, and I think about this a lot with you know, my company Vita Living today. I always, you know, I was talking about this with uh, Maddie earlier. My assistant is, is you know, uh, leadership is, is kind of expected through all in our organization. We're very flat. And so we're not, you know, I always say I'm chief support officer. I'm there to support. We support right up to the customer. So we have the, right. the reverse org chart to really tell people that we're on the bottom. Yes, there's accountability for sure and reporting, but we're here to support the organization. But what I meant by saying everyone has a leadership role, because it gets a little like we're very flat. But if you run a project, you're the leader, you're the CEO of that project. If, if your lane is finance, you, you run finance. If your lane is leasing, you're in charge of leasing. So you, you, there's, um, you know, the, the, there is this aspect of being a leader for that project because I have to follow you on that project for the, you know, I, I need to change roles. Um, but my question was, um, if, you know, how, how, I guess, how do we scale leadership? Where do you, where do you start? Cause I think about that. And sometimes I take this for granted. I think, you know, I don't think we do a good enough job of like, and I hate using the word leadership training, but maybe that's the right word, but where do you start? Cause every leader is going to be different. You can't put a leader in a box. No, I lead, you can't you lead. Right. And so what do you think? How, how do we as owners, executives that want to scale leadership within the organization, what's the starting point? And, and I'll, I'll end with this one piece too. We had uh, Lori Costo on from Ford um, not too long ago. We just released the episode last week and I was blown away by, you know, I think this was to drive, you know, inclusivity and diversity, but what they did is they had this leadership training, which put people in front of their leaders in front of, of, of groups of folks from different backgrounds, race, et cetera, genders. And they weren't allowed to talk. They just had to sit there. They weren't allowed to say a word. They could ask questions, but they weren't allowed to do anything but ask questions. And what they were doing was teaching them how to listen and, and understand where someone was coming from. And I was blown away that they were that advanced. And I, I, and I thought, wow, two things. You know, maybe we take leadership for granted and we expect others to just be able to lead. And, and we probably take listening. And I want to come back. Is that the first skill? Is there a first like foundation if you want to move that in an organization? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, in, in the book and in my presentation that I give, uh, I talk about one of the most important things that I believe it is, if not, I think selfless service is the most important aspect of leadership. But probably right next to that second is communication. And communication is multiple things. It's not just 
you talking, it's listening, it's your uh, nonverbal uh, communication, it is your written communication. It, it, and in today's world, it's the texting and the emailing and all those, all those things um, I think are important. And listening is one of those huge things that we don't do very well, not only as leaders, but probably as a, as a, a world anymore, but certainly in the United States. People, at least my experience, a lot of people are listening not to figure out what it is you're saying and understand it. They're listening so that they can figure out what is they're going to talk about next. And, and that's unfortunate. And I give an example uh, in my presentation, and I think and I believe I get I used it in the book. I know I used it in the book. I, I worked for a, a, a man uh, at that point. It was Lieutenant Colonel uh, Joe Phil, and, uh, and he eventually retired a lieutenant a lieutenant general, a three-star general. And I always talk about the day that I, the time, this is what made me understand that listening was important. He was a very busy man. I worked for him. I was a captain. He was a lieutenant colonel. And every, almost every day when I'd walk into the office, I'd have to walk right by him. And he would say, hey, Oak, how are you today? And then he would stop and stand there. He didn't expect me to walk by, say fine and walk by and go into my office. He wanted to know how I was doing. And I would talk to him a little bit and he knew my wife and my kids and he'd say, hey, and how's Kel doing? And how's, uh, how's Oak and Kaylee doing? And what, what, what's big thing, if there was a big event coming up, he'd ask, us, ask me how that was going. And you know, again, very busy man. Not one time did I ever see him while we were talking. Sometimes we talked there for five, 10 minutes. Not one time did I ever see him look down at his watch and like I got someone more important to be. Not one time, the amount of, when I was standing there talking to him and he was talking to me and listening to me, he made me feel like I was the most important person in the world right then. And a light went off in my head because it, I knew how it made me feel like I was wanted, like I was appreciated, like he, he really cares. And so I try to do that. Uh, I, tr I have tried throughout my career to incorporate that and become a better listener. And it it's sometimes is hard. It really is. Yeah, it feels like he was really present. Yeah, absolutely. He was. I mean, and it wasn't just me. I saw him do that for other people as well. I mean, that, that was him. And, and I recently just reconnected with him uh, and, uh, and we, we talked and I, I told him that story and he was kind of amazed by it, that, I, that that made that much of an impression on me that still today I, I talk about it and I put it in my book, but that's just him. He, he, did, he didn't do it for the show. He didn't do it to... He did it because he cares and, and, it, and it showed that he cared. So it's interesting. There's, there's, you know, you can tell the impact of a strong leader because, and even during this podcast, we have one, maybe other leaders, we're not even going to mention, we're not even going to do them service of mentioning the name. Others, it's the name, the story, how I felt. I mean, what a different, and a different path, right? And, and seeing, wow, you know, left versus right here is there's the gap is so amazing. And one is inspiring and the other becomes inspiring to say, wow, the impact is so huge. It's, it's right. The other one is inspiring and in that I don't ever want to be that leader. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, we're all going to run into those people. And again, you know, I talk to people and I say, look, it, yeah, it's not fun having that type of a leader, but what you have to do because sometimes you don't have a choice. I mean, in the army, you don't have a choice. I mean, I guess you can get out of the army, but, but if you want to stay, you're going to get those leaders every once in a while. And what you have to do is you just have to convince yourself that this is a learning experience for me. And I have to take the bad and figure out 
how not to ever do that. And even with all the bad things that that leader may, decisions they may make, try to protect my soldiers, my employees from those decisions, be a shield as much as you can. Uh, and and that's, what, that's how I approach those. And, and I think, you know, in my 23 years in the Army, I could probably say, truthfully, I had two that, two leaders that, um, that I, I wouldn't, wouldn't even follow for, for, out of curiosity. I, I mean, it wouldn't follow them ever again if I had a choice. And if they were already in Daytona Beach, you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't have followed I would not. <laughs> That's great. So um, do you have a hack slash system for that important being present moment that impacted you so much, you know, because I think about that and I'm always like, how do I, how do I hack the system? I, I agree with you. I also, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I move fast. I have ADHD. I really struggle with that. And, and, and let's assume for both of us, the world's moving faster. It's, it's a more information coming at us. Right. So we don't have the problems of, of, and I forget the individual's name again. I apologize. Um, Colonel Phil. Colonel Phil, right? We don't, we're in a different world and I'm not, that is no excuse. We, we have to work harder. What do you do, um, Colonel, to, to solve that problem? Is there something you do? Do you take a deep breath? What do you do to say, okay, I'm in front of Ron Lovett. I need to, to, to give, I need him to feel that I'm extremely present here. Right. Do you do anything. So I, I think there's two things. If, I think if it's uh, just meeting in the hallway, um, if, if, if we're, we work together, you know, if we're meeting in the hallway and, and we're just passing by and probably never going to see each other again, then, then, you know, we're probably going to say, hi, how are you? And just move on. But if we work on a team, then I, what I, what I try to do is I try to make sure that, that I, I'm willing to, to be uh, five minutes late for a meeting. Um, and if you're the boss, you can do that. Um, if I'm, if I'm using that time, to take care of a soldier or a, an employee or a junior leader or, or somebody who works for me to make them feel like they're important because they are. And, and that, that's another piece of the book that I talk about team building. And, and that's part of it as far as I'm concerned. But I think that's, if it's, uh, hap, you know, just we happen to meet each other, then I think you just gotta, you gotta just stop and say, okay, yeah, I don't have time maybe, but this is important. And maybe you don't spend as much time but you still stop and spend some time. But then I think the other thing is, and again, with me recruiting, um, you know, I, I try to make sure that when I'm talking to, to these young men and their parents, I, I try to make sure that they understand, and it is, but I, I want them to understand that, that this decision is about them. One of those few times in your life where it is about you, where it's okay for it to be about you, this is one of those times. And I, and I try to make sure that they understand that. And I, I don't try to pressure anybody. I listen to what they want. And I have taken, you know, I've listened to somebody and they tell me what they want. And I say, hey, young man, this, this, my pro, our program is not for you. We don't have that major. We don't do that. You need to look at a different route because that's not, uh, we're not gonna give you what you want. And the last thing I always tell them when I'm talking to young men and women is, that, um, that this is about them and they have, they're the ones that have to make the decision. Nobody else can make it for them, not their mom and dad, not me, not their guidance counselor, not their girlfriend or boyfriend. They have to do the research, figure out what it is they want and then make that decision. And I want them to understand 
that we'd love to have them in our program. But again, that's about them. I made my choices a hundred years ago. This is right. about them. But it sounds like when, when, you know, one is reactive and one, one of these stories is intentional. It sounds like the, 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 you know, the, the difference is look, fine. If we cross each other in the path, you know, in the hall and I'm heading, you know, my mindset, I'm going to this meeting, then, then fine. It's, it's surface. Hi, how are you, Ron? But you're taking time and there's intentionality around. Now I'm going to actually go down and see Ron Lovett and talk to him and see how him and his family are doing. That seemed, I feel like that's what you're and, and, and I, and I will tell you, I've done that when I, if I, I had a, uh, had a, a gentleman who worked for me when I was a professor of military science at South Alabama and, and I always joke and, and I tell him as well that, uh, you know, there were days when I knew I did not have time to spend with him because when he walked in my office, that was 30 minutes gone, <laughs> automatic. <laughs> there was no way to get right. out of there without uh, it being at least 30 minutes. So there were times when I said, OK, Tim, I, I, I want to talk to you today and I'm going to talk to you today, but it can't be right now. I'll, I'll come find you. And then I would, you know, when I had. 15, 20, 30 minutes, I'd go to his office. Or if he was out um, training cadets out in the field, I'd go find him and I'd say, okay, now you came to see me, but let's talk, how, how are you doing? What, what's, what's up uh, with your family? Because um, you know he, his family and our family were close. Um, we did things together, so we knew each other. Uh, and he, you know, we asked the same thing. So I, I would always go back, if I could, didn't have time to deal to talk with them at that point, I would make an effort to go go out later and find them and give them right. the opportunity. You're still intentional about it, right? That's right. But you know, you, you're you're saying selfless servant uh, service. I'm thinking of servant leadership. Are they the same thing, or what? I think they are. Okay, so so explain because I feel like some people have different versions of what a servant leader is. What what is your version of servant leader? being self providing selfless service. What does it mean to you? So, so to me, uh, a leader is not about you. It's about the organization. You know, I, I had buddies who, um, who, when they, you know, we, we in the army, you have inspections, you have big field problems coming up. You have gunnery, you have uh, national training center rotations, all kinds of big, big things that you are going to be evaluated on as the leader. And I had buddies who would say, you know, okay, I, I really need to send Sergeant so-and-so to school, but I just can't afford to right now because we got this inspection coming up and I really need him. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, how do you think that's going to make that young man feel when he knows you're taking your, your uh, reputation and your uh, needs yeah. over his, there's no trust there ever again. Uh, so being a selfless servant, uh, being a servant leader, you got to understand that, that you are there to help the people who work for you and to help the people who work above you. And that really is your job. People always said, you know, well, what, what about, what about your evaluation report? I said, I never, ever cared about my evaluation report ever. And people don't believe that. I, I mean, there was times I didn't even read it. I didn't care because that's not what it was about. And I always said, if you take care of your soldiers, you take care of the people who work for you, you take care of your team, both below you and above you, everything else is going to fall in line. Right. So, so just putting whoever's in front of you before your own needs. That's right. And, and sometimes that is not easy. And it's, and sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, I, I use this example in the book and, and I've used several examples of it when I talk in, in my presentation that I give, sometimes 
you've got to do that. And it is not in, it is absolutely not in your best interest, but you still have to do it because it's the right thing and leaders do the right thing. The day you don't do the right thing and your, your team realizes you didn't do the right thing, it's done. You will never have that trust ever again. And Carl, what's the balance between, because I think some people that listen say, yeah, but the servant leadership, this soft, touchy feeling doesn't get results done. What's your take on that in your, your rebuke to servant leadership and results? Yeah, I, I would tell you, I, I'm not a very touchy-feely guy. I don't think there's too many people who would identify me as that. Um, and I don't believe that for one minute. Be, being a selfless, selfless ser- service and uh, a servant leader does not mean you, you do everything that they want. Your job is to make sure that, that your team is results-driven uh, and gets results. Because in the real world, let's be honest, you know, in the fantasy land, we can all say that, you know, everybody gets a trophy and it doesn't matter who wins. But in the real world, it does matter who wins and not everybody does get a trophy. And I always tell, tell people that I'm, I'm training to be leaders is you can't, you can't not train the people and do the things, make them do the things that are going to make them successful. And sometimes they don't want to, but you have to make them do that. And I think it was Rommel used to say that, uh, you know, if you start, keep demanding General Rommel, Phil Marshal Rommel from the German army in World War II, if you demand that people meet the standard, then you will, even when they don't want to, then you'll save lives in the end in, in our business. And in the civilian world, if you meet, make them meet the standard, then you'll be successful in whatever it, it, business you're in. I don't care, but you got to make people meet the standard. And sometimes that means, you know, just because you're a, 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 a servant leader doesn't mean that you don't discipline people. Because, and I talk about that in the book as well, but you got to do both things. You got to be that good, that, that um, cheerleader, and you got to be that disciplinarian. Just, just like, here's a, a concept for you, just like being an, a, a parent just like being an adult. Right, right. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So what's something that we haven't talked about that you think is helpful when, when folks are thinking about scaling leadership in the organization, providing leadership guidance? Well, what, what else that we haven't talked about would you like to, um, would you like to get yeah, in? Yeah, I, so I, I, I'd like to go back to the, to the uh, team building piece because sure. I think that is so important. I think that's one of the, a leader's most important jobs is to build that team to be successful. Because again, results matter. So there are several ideas that I believe uh, how you build that team. First of all, uh, nobody is going to follow you if you don't have a vision. That's what people follow is your vision and your presence. And so I always tell people, you know, one of the first things that you got to do as a leader is you got to figure out where your organization is when you take over. And then you got to figure out where you want that organization to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, however long out you want to go. And then you got to come up with a plan on how you want to get from where you are today to where you want to be in the end. And then you got to communicate that plan because if you think you're the one that's going to, uh, to make all that happen, then I think that you're, you're kidding yourself. It's the people who it's your team that's going to make all that happen. So, so I think that one of the most important things is to be able to let them understand what it is that you want and how we're going to get there. And, uh, and so team building is huge because 
and you know, you, you talked about diversity and inclusion and all that, and that's all important. I, I do believe that's important, but, but I also tell people that if you think that that's more important than building a team that's gonna be successful, then you're hurting that organization. Diversity for diversity's sake doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the organization. It doesn't help your team. It doesn't help the people you, the type of people you think you're trying to help. Diversity for diversity's sake doesn't help anybody. I always look at, I tell people, look, I don't care. I pick the best people who are gonna get results. And I don't care if they're all white, if they're all black, if they're all green, if they're all pink, if they're all male, if they're all female, if they're all straight, they're all gay. I don't care, it doesn't matter to me. Prove to me that you can do the job and the job is yours. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. And, and obviously, it's a hot topic. And it is. Two, two things. And, and that's not a very popular answer sometimes. And, well, and, yeah, but look, here's what I would say. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, but I, I'll say two things, you know, and, and we had another guest and they nailed it. You know, diversity does not equal inclusion, inclusion about feeling safe. So, but let's park that one. Let's go back to your diversity point. I, I think that you know, the opportunity, because I, I agree, look, it should be best person for the job. But I think the, the, I think the, the, uh, the landscape today is sometimes we're not casting a wide enough net or we don't even, we're not even aware of the places we should be going to find more diverse applicants to put into that pool to find the best candidate. I think there's still opportunity there. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think if you are really concentrating on building the best team, right. then you're going to take the time to make sure you are picking the best people. And that may not be to your advantage to, to take the little extra time, but in the end, it will be. I, I'm here to tell you, in the end, the time you take to build that team the way it should be and the way you need it to be, whatever time you had to take off up front will pay off in the end. I believe right. that. And so I absolutely agree with you. If you want a diverse organization, you can find the right people to do that. That's right. That's absolutely, right. I agree. Well, look, Colonel, this has been a great conversation. I've, I've got some great notes. Uh, I appreciate your time. Where, where do we find you? You've got two books. Are you doing some speaking? Where do the listeners find you? So if you go to my website, uh, www.ltcoakmccullough, that's my website. You can get the book there. Um, it'll take, a link will take you right to Amazon to get the book. Uh, and it's in three versions. It's paperback, hardcover, and uh, an ebook. And, uh, and then there's also two other things on there that you might want to, there's um, a place to sign up if you want me to come speak to your organization. And I've got a bunch of them already, you know, a couple football teams. I've got a couple universities that are going to have me come talk. I got a, a law enforcement agency in Illinois who is looking at having me come do a, a, the leadership presentation for them. And there's other, there's, I have nine different presentations that I can do for you. Some of them, you know, leadership, how to be successful, some history um, things. So, so some of my experience, you know, my first Gulf War, Kosovo experience. So any of that I can do. And then the last piece is you can subscribe. And I put out a blog uh, that some, I put out some things that only the people who are subscribed will get. Other things I put on my LinkedIn, my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter. Um, but there are some things, if you're subscribed to my website, that you get only that. Nobody else does. Got it. Well, Colonel, thanks so much for joining us today. And, and for, I, for all our listeners, you know, thanks for serving your country. That's very admirable. And Thanks, Ron. I really appreciate you having me come on. I really enjoyed it and, uh, and would love to 
to someday, you know, if I write another book, maybe you'll have me back on. You got it. No, absolutely. Well, look, thanks again and enjoy Daytona. We'll see you soon. Okay, no problem. A lot, thanks. For more information about Lieutenant Colonel McCullough, please go to ltcoakmccullough.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming masterclass or second book, Scaling Culture, go to ConnellyOwens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.